a Radio 191 FM podcast. It's history time. Come on, tell your friends. We'll visit New Zealand's ancient lands with Jamie the host and Dr. Valetta Gillibit the historian. Our fun will never end because it's history time. Today is Thursday, tomorrow's Friday, and then it's the election. Oh, bejeebus. But did you know there have been many elections in New Zealand history? <laughs> Heaps of them, in fact. And even before the first election in Aotearoa, there was politics. Uh, really, politics is one of the founding things of our nation. <laughs> if it wasn't for politics, where would we be? And today, to talk all about the history of politics in Aotearoa, I'm joined by Dr. Valetta Gilbert. Good morning to you. Good morning, Jamie. There's many tales to be told. I guess a good place to start is with James Busby. Yes. He came to Aotearoa in 1833 after spending a lot of time in Australia. It was all about the wine. Oh, yes. Yeah. Our first viticulturalist, in yeah. fact. Yes, yes, that's um, right. Yeah, not, not many folks would know that New Zealand got its first vineyard in the late 1830s. Mm. Actually predating the Treaty of Waitangi. Um, but he was the British resident in New Zealand. Who exactly was he? It's, it's kind of unclear, actually. Well, <laughs> at least um, with the kind of status that he was given and what he was... He was officially sent over as a British resident um, to protect order and also mm. to prevent, quote-unquote, outrages against, uh, against Māori. So kind of keeping the peace, and he was sent to the Bay of Islands um, to Kororareka, uh, which was known as a kind of unstable place with a, a lot of itinerant settlers, whalers, sealers, quite yeah. rough. So he was sent in there with um, very little to go on, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, he was uh, one of the first official British presences in New Zealand, you yeah. could say, um, in, a, in a state capacity. He didn't get much support, though, did he, from New South Wales? No, uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I suppose um, they were hoping that he might uh, get a, get by on his charm. <laughs> yeah. But no, he had no police officers, he had no troops, uh, he had no weapons. He was just kind of sent over there, and I suppose, to look official and attempt to appeal to settlers' uh, better, more civil senses. Yeah. yeah. So it was kind of about all about race relationships. Because I, re- I guess at that point... If the settlers did upset anybody, it's goodbye settlers. Yeah, quite right. Um, and certainly the fact that um, looking after racial relations were mentioned in his mandate um, is significant. That mm-hmm. he was supposed to be trying to get in between something. Yeah, mediate tensions, whatever they might be. I, I guess his biggest achievement will be the Declaration of Independence of New Zealand. What was that? Well, um, quite a significant document that um, not many folks would necessarily know about. Yes. Um, Putanga, uh, which, yeah, we call the Declaration of Independence. Um, Hefakaputanga o te rangatiratanga o nu tirene, the Declaration of Independence of the United Tribes of New Zealand. Please excuse my pronunciation there. Um, but yes, they are signed by 13 Napui chiefs in 1831 mm-hmm. at Busby's encouragement. And uh, he was, yeah, his concerns were perhaps quite distinct from uh, what these uh, rangatira had in mind when signing this document. He was concerned about um, foreign takeover. Yeah. In fact, a, a French nobleman by the name of Charles Philippe de Thierry, uh, he was uh, based in the Hokianga, I believe, and he tried to declare an independent French state. Um, okay, so it was basically about holding it, holding on to things for the crown. 
but it was really giving sovereignty to to Maori, so it was interesting in that way. Absolutely, um, it's been read very differently over the years. Um, Busby definitely saw it as a step to creating a British colony or to making New Zealand a British possession. Um, and, you know, very openly said so. Um, he also had some minor local rivalries that were kind of driving his desire for this declaration. But in the long term, um, it became quite significant. Initially, um, Pākehā historians were quite dismissive of it. And mm-hmm. if you can, you know, the, the 70s and the 80s when um, it was first being talked about in the level of a, a national historical narrative, it wasn't looked upon very well and kind of a cynical attempt by Busby to pave the way for colonisation. Um but in uh, more recent years, Māori historians um, have read it differently as uh, something more significant, um, especially where Indigenous sovereignty is concerned. Yeah. Uh, certainly you could say that you know, Māori weren't a um, united front at the time uh, on a national level. Well, this was just before the musket wars. Too. Yeah, most certainly. Um, a deeply tribal society. And um, so uh, there, there are kind of complexities surrounding what is a nation, um, what is sovereignty and the like. Um, but certainly it's a very complex document um, and one quite significant to New Zealand's history. Uh, for anybody who's interested, uh, it is actually at the Alexander Turnbull Library um, and can be viewed. So uh, folks who are stopping by Wellington um, interested in history, get over there. They've got amazing exhibitions. Uh, that, that was 1835. Mm-hmm. Hobson came in 1839. And we'd, yeah, he, he was the consul to New Zealand, but we don't really need to talk to him much about him much. Uh, and then, of course, there's the treaty in 1840 and we'll get to that in another series as well because Mm -hmm. you know we've only got a certain amount of time today but in that year of the treaty uh, New Zealand became a dependency of New South Wales yes that so Mm -hmm. so we went from being kind of I mean nothing in a way yeah, well, at least con- uh, according to the British Empire. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> according to the Crown, apologies. Mm, uh, but yeah. then we became a dependency of, of New South Wales. So what exactly does that mean? Uh, well, a, a colonial possession, essentially. Um, and we primarily, the, the statesmen who were um, looking after New Zealand's political interests and running the affairs of the colony would answer to superiors based in New South Wales. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, just a year after that, we became a Crown colony. <coughs> well, yes, um, things moved very quickly. <laughs> yes, they did. They did. They did indeed. Um, one, I guess, early, really important uh, date was in 1852 when New Zealand's Constitution Act and established a system of rep- representative government. A general assembly was established. It was a two tier system. You had the Legislative Council that was crown appointed, mm-hmm. so appointed from London. Uh, but no doubt from Sydney, uh, and then you had the House of Representatives that was elected every five years from the people, male well, from males over 21 that owned, uh, leased or rented property of a certain value. So it was representation for the rich. Yes, yeah, definitely um, very conditional upon class and wealth and the like. But interestingly, um, not uh, blatantly circumscribed by race. No. That's right. So if you're Māori and you owned a house of a certain value and you're over 21, you too could vote. Certainly. Um, I mean, it was a, a little complicated in the sense that a lot of Māori property at the time was owned communally. But uh, certainly with um, certain uh, legal arrangements could provide and did provide for um, Māori men to be able to vote. Then we had our first election the following year. 
1954, the Parliament sat for the first time. So what was the first... Uh, what was it all about? Did we have a premier? We, did, we didn't really have a prime minister at the time, did we? It was all more about pro- the provinces. Yes, and giving them some form of representation as mm-hmm. well. Um, there, after you know, our previous experiences, with, um, especially in Canada, where there had been minor uprisings previously, um, there was interest in kind of giving settlers um, a form of managing their own affairs, even if it was um, somewhat limited by the fact the crown was still at the top and the governor was still up there. That yeah, uh, there there was no political parties either initially. Um, candidates all stood as independents, mm-hmm. um, and. I suppose uh, in a in a compact version of uh, what we do today, with all the publicity and the electioneering, um, candidates gave speeches um, on soap uh, soapboxes. Um, they held banquets, oh, invited the wealthy and the like. Yeah. So essentially, you, ha- you mean you kind of had to be wealthy yourself to stand, right? Yeah, to fund it. I mean, especially you know there wouldn't have been too many private interests to appeal to, so you would have had to have some money of your own. Mm. Okay, and then 1956. It was two years after. Then we had our first premier. His name was Henry. His name was Henry Sewell. Let's, we'll just say it's that. He was from Canterbury, from Christchurch. Do we know anything about him? Much about him? Not a whole lot, I'm afraid. Fair enough. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm sure he uh, did the best job he could. Yeah. As many of them did. Yeah, he was a premier, not a prime minister. We hadn't got to that point yet. Not quite. Not quite. Um, so, I mean, so we're established in a way uh, in terms of uh, having a representatives of ourselves. We've got the, the Crown representatives too. They make the real decisions here. The Legislative Council, they're making the laws. They're, in, you know, enacting all the things. Um, essentially, the House of Representatives is just kind of a, a show for, for, the, for the people. They're not really making heavy decisions, are they? Well, yeah, no, and especially since representation was constrained already quite heavily to begin with, um, you could say, oh, yeah, pretty symbolic. Yeah, yeah, pretty symbolic. Then we get to 1864, and not symbolic in a way, but kind of. (laughs) Um, Māori men gained suffrage, so every Māori man could vote. Not every white man could vote at this time, but every Māori over the age of uh, 21, sorry, had the right to vote for four Māori seats. This is just after... Well, it's in between the... what we like to call the sovereignty wars around here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, the, or the land wars. It was kind of a way to help bring about the peace. Appease local Māori. Yes. Um, and, you know, a fairly extensive um, attempt to do so in some ways, very limited in others. Um, you know, while universal Māori male suffrage sounds like quite a good deal of course um the amount of representation they had on a higher level was very small yeah uh, and it wasn't long after well actually it was a wee while after that um that all men could vote that was 1879 1879 yeah um again creeping towards that um universal suffrage well that's just around the corner isn't it mm-hmm. looking at another 14 years And then in 1893, universal suffrage. And we've talked a little bit bit about suffrage before with the temperance movement. And once again, in a way, it's about appeasement. Yes, um, in a lot of ways. I mean, there was a tremendous uh, popular movement for suffrage. Mm -hmm. And of course, um, behind a lot of that momentum lay the temperance campaign. So there was appeasement. There were also elements of pragmatism, I suppose, um, reigning in liquor consumption and creating productive, tax-paying, mm-hmm. temperate men who are going to 
go home and have tea with their wives and families every night. Mm-hmm. It was a rather good idea to the government, and of course, um, the assumption was that most women would vote for um, for prohibition. So again, interwoven. Um, but before um, these, you know, um, licensing elections came to be, of course, women voted in a general election. Yeah. The very year after um, the. Um, Universal Suffrage Bill was passed um, and it's not called the Universal Suffrage Bill by the way, apologies Um, but yeah, uh, polling day was quite an event I suppose there were warnings from I suppose pundits commentators that there might be harassment or kind of chaos at the polling booths but in most cases if not all of them, it was quite a relaxed and um, even festive atmosphere Mm-hmm. According to reports, and one Christchurch newspaper commented that streets resembled a gay garden party and commented on pretty dresses and smiling faces. So as patronising as we might feel that is today, um, women electors did get to have their say. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that was an amazing turnout as well, 82%. Yeah. Yeah, far higher than the turnout of male voters, which was 70. And um, then we've got to remember like how much hype there was around the first general election in which women could vote mm-hmm. uh, in the world on a national scale. I wonder what the Crown thought, because it wasn't until, I think, 1919 that women got the vote in England. I yes. could be, I could totally be wrong on, the, on, on that date. It's oh, it was definitely the early 20th century. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, around that time, yeah. And um, with, you know, a hell of a lot more civil agitation than what we witnessed in New Zealand. Bombings yes. and yeah. uh, martyrdoms and all kinds of, um, you know, uh, pretty chaotic stuff. So... Uh, yeah, perhaps they looked on to New Zealand as an interesting experiment, um, something that they might learn from, but again, very much dragged to their feet in terms of applying it to their own population. All right, we'll leave it there. That's a really quick, brief look into the New Zealand um, political history by two novices on the subject, really. Two absolute novel, <laughs> in my case, at least. Oh, totally in my case, too. Goodness gracious. Um, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, have you have you voted yet? Oh, I voted on the first day, Jane. Did you? Oh, yeah. I vote on the last day. Oh, golly. No, I saw the polling booth open and I just went for it. Yeah. I'm very proud. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, go so both, folks. Is this your first New Zealand election? Oh, no, I voted in a few before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, being yeah. being an, uh, a resident. Ah, yes, of course. Yeah, of course. I'm allowed. Yeah. It's a privilege. Yeah, well, I'll be voting on Saturday with all, um, with, with all my colours on, the regalia. Ah, yes. Yes, indeed. I, I make quite a s- song and dance of it, to be honest. I walk down to the booth as far away through town, <laughs> marching. It's great. <laughs> hey, uh, well, thank you. Talk again soon. Kia ora. Thank Bye. you. That was a Radio 1 91 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.